The reading today is from John chapter 8, verses 12 to 20. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Therefore, your testimony is not true. But Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Because of this, they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Even so, Father, open your word to us by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's the only way we have any hope in Christ. Amen. Is this, is this operating right now? Do we know? Is this plugged in? No, it's, is, this, is, it, is it on? Oh, there it is. Oh, great, great. I should trust everything, right? Uh, let's begin. Let's take a look at the text here. I actually I want to draw you draw a few things here to your attention. I, I oops, no, I didn't mean to do that. Uh, I, I actually translated cosmos for world in uh, in uh, differently. I, that's the actually the original Greek word there in verse twelve. And he also wants you to know something else. I did in this translation. I, I took the, the name of God. The, this is in Greek. It, it's I, I am. And it's meant to be an artificial construction in Greek in order to show you that Jesus is actually claiming to be the I am. So you don't miss it. So I wrote it in there so you can see it. And, and so it's apparent to you because I want you to realize or I want you to see or I want you to join me in understanding or I want you to be able to say with me, hey, this guy is outrageous. Jesus is outrageous. I'm serious. I, and I think if, if you don't come to that conclusion, or if you're not, you're not paying attention, Jesus is outrageous in the things he says. Uh, the reason I'm leading that way is because for some of us who are struggling with belief, who are struggling to, or skeptics, and we don't, we're not sure about the truth of these claims, and, and, and we see Jesus under attack, obviously these people he's meeting with are not sure about his claims, his claims they think, he is outrageous. They are going to get so outraged in a few verses after this, they're going to try to kill him. So it, it, it's an, the outrage that they have here in verse 19, where is your father? The reason I'm bringing all this up is I want, I want, to, I want, to, I want the skeptic here this morning, because some of you are skeptics, to, to, to at least understand that your skepticism is ancient, right? <laughs> These people were as skeptical, skeptical as you feel about these extraordinary claims. Because the claims are that crazy. What am I talking about? Who talks like this? I mean, seriously, who talks like this? 
I am the light of the universe. I'll tell you who talks like this. Crazy people. There's tons of people in Tenderloin talking like that. Yeah, they're all over San Francisco. You'll find people who will tell you they're all sorts of things. Is that what's going on? Who talks like this? And the reason I bring that, I push it on you, is because I want to, I want to, I actually want to unsettle you. If you came this morning hoping that I would be a man to speak about what another man said, and this amazing man Jesus said a lot of interesting things that you find morally or spiritually compelling, and maybe I can increase that. That's not, I'm not interested in that. Jesus is not who you think he is. He is something absolutely unique in all of human history and all of space and time across 14 billion years of cosmic history. He is claiming to be the origin of the cosmos and the light that gives life to it. Do you hear what he's claiming? And if you hear it as outrageous, at least some of you who are skeptical right now, who are skeptical as you approach Christ and skeptical about the claims, I, I want you to say, I understand. And so do the scriptures. And, and don't, be, don't be discouraged about your unbelief. Don't be discouraged that it looks so difficult because these men were good men. They were bad, naughty people who were simply curling their mustaches at night trying to figure out how they could get the good guy Jesus. That's not what's happening here. They think they're right. They think they're being godly and good and wise. And they think stopping him is what they have to do for their own moral reasons. But that aside, I I simply want you to (laughs) be comforted in your unbelief for a moment. I just don't want you to stay there. But, uh, but more on that perhaps later. So the, the outrageous, so, and just so I can accentuate it, I am the light. What's the implication? There are no other lights. <laughs> there aren't, nobody else is giving light like this. I am the light of what? The God of everything. I am this person. And so uh, as it strikes us, and as, as, it, as it grabs us, I hope that the outrage and the, the frustration that you, I hope you'll begin to feel it perhaps. Why did I capitalize I am? And then again, I am here. Well, one of the reasons why is I wanted an echo of an earlier text. Look at the first page of your worship. In the first page of your worship, you'll see we begin with a Trinitarian formula. Glory be to the Father, glory be to the Son, and glory be to the Holy Spirit, And we sing that every Sunday. We begin with Trinitarian worship, it's called. And then we read a passage from Deuteronomy 34. And Deuteronomy 34 is one of the most important passages in all the Bible. Because it is where the eternal God appears to Moses. And the eternal God even shields Moses that he cannot see him. But what is the name? What is the name repeated? What is, what does he call himself? I am. I am, he says, this is wonderful, I fear is a roar, because we know that they said it was like a sound of many waters when they heard him speak. So it was very, very loud, very, very thunderous. I am, I am. You see, Jesus is saying the same things that God is saying on Mount Sinai. What's the connection? Jesus was the one talking on Mount Sinai. <laughs> now, we're going to pull at that. We're going to pull at that because I think he's, going, he's making that claim. We'll see why and how. But uh, so the, the outrage, uh, oh man, I hope you can see it. Because if you can see it, there's a possibility of new life for you and hope and joy. So uh, where are we going to take this then? I, what I want to take this is, uh, as yeah, I, I'm just repeating that. Oh, I wanted to 
to also to point out this. At every, at every slide, I'm going to have an Old Testament passage and a new. Why? Well, as Christ is speaking here in AD 33 or so, uh, this was written, Isaiah 60 is written about 800 years before Christ, and Ephesians 5 is probably written about 30 years after Christ. All right? So before and after, look at how they understand. Isaiah 60, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the I am has risen upon you. Those men and women listening to Jesus teach in the temple should have heard and recognized when he said he was the light of the cosmos that he was doing what? Claiming to be the man, the God of Isaiah 60, verse 1. And then Paul, as he takes this image of Christ, he takes the I am statement of the light and says what? Ephesians 5, 14, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And that really describes the purpose of the message today is I am hoping to get Jesus so bright, so incandescent, shining in his glory in a way that will compel you. It will take hard hearts and make them melt. It will take unbelief and make it belief and, and take us and have new confidence in him, new confidence in his, in his power. Uh, and the first way I want to do that is by unpacking how, <laughs> how outrageous this whole text is. Goodness gracious. I love him. I love how outrageous Jesus is. I just love it. And I love how crazy he sounds, because he's my savior. He goes on to make some arguments. Now, he makes this proclamation, and they challenge him. And it's a classic challenge. They challenge him with a forensic argument from the Old Testament. If you claim something, you should have another witness. You claim something, you should have two witnesses for something to be true. And then Christ has a fascinating way of responding to that. He responds with two things, two arguments. And the first argument is the one we'll look at first, because it's so odd. It's such an odd argument. And in it, we see his beauty. What am I talking about? What's his first response? His first response is that he doesn't need another witness. Why? Get, get, wait for it. Because he knows where he's come from, and he knows where he's going. How does that qualify him to need no external witnesses. Why is that? Why, 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 why does him saying that, or why does that idea create him in a way that makes him unassailable to critics? In other words, he has a witness that's greater. Why? Why? What does it mean? What's he saying? There's nobody like him. He, and we, you know, Jesus, I'm trying to, trying to give you an example here of this. Jesus, uh, here, um, Jesus drops his glory and his majesty and his splendor and his grandeur, just like little things, just... That's who I am. He's casual. He just, it just drips off of him. What's he saying? I come from eternity. You don't. I come from eternity. I am going to eternity. <laughs> I, I know who I am. <laughs> I am the one person who has not created himself. I have not sought my own meeting, meaning. I have not tried to create who I am. I'm unlike you, he is saying. But there's something exciting here. This is why I love the name I am. Because even in the name itself, in the present tense, the way God says, I am that I am to Moses, the way Jesus owns it here, he's claiming the grandeur of eternity for himself. And that's why I can say these things, he says. And that's why you don't understand me. Because I'm talking from eternity. And that is outrageous. <laughs> you see, he, he just drops his splendor. 
right into their, like in a casual way. He just, he, he has told them something that should shake their worlds. And uh, what's he saying? One of my favorite pictures is of the Hubble Deep Space Field. In 2012, I actually spent two years taking this picture. Two, two years. It was a little spot in space. Uh, the total compiled amount of time focusing on the little dot in space in the sky, night sky, I forget, was, it was, it was uh, 23 days worth of observation in, two se in, a, in second intervals. So there were two million seconds. This is the oldest picture of the universe. This picture is only a, a, about 800 billion years, 800, 800 million, 800 million years, sorry, we're not that old, 800 million years uh, after the Big Bang. In it are about 5,500 galaxies. Every dot you could see right now, for you guys can see, every dot's a galaxy. This is the oldest picture in creation. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, yeah, 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 I stopped there on the way. Do you get that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I stopped there on the way here. I am from eternity. I look at these pictures because of the way God told Abraham to look at the night sky and try to count the stars. And if you could, you might begin to understand how great his splendor is, how great his grandeur is, how great his promise is, because he is far greater than that. Jesus is not a part of the order of created things. He's not a part of the universe. He made the universe. He is from outside. He is eternal. Therefore, when he speaks, he needs no witness. <sighs> that gives me chills. And I think that astronomy and the way astronomy now is cosmologically breaking down. These are 14, this picture's 13 billion years old. And Jesus stopped there on his way. On his way what? On his way to becoming a man. The God, God the Son became a man. He stopped there on his way to the cross where he would die for sinners. He knew where he was going all the time. And he knew where he came from. And he returned to his father. Now, what's the point of all this? So what, you say. But didn't you hear it all? John told you you have to believe into him. Do you remember that? It's all about union. It's all about, he kept saying, unless you eat me, unless you become the God eaters inside, you can't, you can't have any part of me. You don't know me. You should drink me and eat me. So what is this saying? You and I, by faith today, can wear eternity. Let me try it on. I was looking at an Oculus yesterday. If anybody wants to donate me an Oculus, why did I just say that? I want an Oculus. I'm trying to figure out some way to justify it, but I'm not sure I can. But the interesting, one fun thing about three, you've all tried, the, uh, many of you probably tried virtual reality. It's so immersive. And one of the things that's so immersive is your, your, your sense of, your perspective is completely changed. You've been transformed into somebody else's imagination. Now, I invite you to put on the imagination of Christ. Now, many of us are frustrated, we're scared, we're in our local, my mom, my mom, I'm so, I'm so afraid of my mom being sick. I, I, it just, it terrifies me. But that's the weeds, that's the local. But when I look at this, if my God is greater than space and time, all of a sudden my mom's cancer shrinks to what? Oh, it's something he can do, yeah. And that's a God I can believe in. That's a perspective I need when I'm in the weeds. Aren't you in the weeds? Now, that's a, you, you nodded. You, you nodded, Agatha, because being in the weeds is a restaurant expression. And I just realized, because I grew up working in restaurants, and when you're in the weeds, or when a server says that, that means they've got so much to do, they can't get ahead. They've got so many orders coming in, they can't keep up. 
And we feel that at work. We feel it in our personal lives. We feel it all around us. There's problems we can't, there's family problems we can't conquer. And we're, and we're frustrated by our own bodies and our own fears. And here he comes, here he comes, the Lord of glory, casually casting about his grandeur, telling you, don't you know who I am? There's nobody like me. And we get to put that on. That was what eternal life was. We get to put on an eternal perspective and have it for ourselves. Your problems look very big, don't they? Don't they? Don't you think your problems look like they'll overwhelm you? Oh no, don't you hear him? He's greater. Believe and trust in his grandeur and your heart can be set free. And I, you see, this is why I said this idea, if I, can, if I can make Jesus beautiful, if I can make him shine in front of you, there's comfort to your hearts because in him are all the answers for this for our hearts and our, our trials and our difficulties and why we can't see. When you were so busy, Melody, you couldn't see out of, that, out of your schedule. Could you? couldn't see. Every all of us get like that. Put on Christ. Put on his eternity. He stopped here in the creation of the universe on his way to the cross. Praise him. There's nothing like him. He's outrageous. <laughs> and I love it. What's the second thing that he does? The second thing he does is, oh, I went backwards. Did, oh, no, no. Did I go too far forward? I'm still a little bit new with this. No, this is, I did, thank you. Yeah, I did, thank you. All right, what else is going on here? He makes an argument from Trinity. He, he's hitting it, I and the Father sent me. A little later he's gonna say I and the Father are one. He's gonna double down on this. I am the one who bears witness. Another thing he does here, if you knew me, you would know my father. What I hear here and what Christ keeps presenting really is a spiritual version of the transitive property. Do you guys remember the transitive property uh, from the nightmare of algebra in uh, eighth or ninth grade? If A is equal to B, and thank you, if A is equal to B and B is equal to C, then A is equal to C. If you were in Jesus, and Jesus is in the Father, then you are in the Father. You follow? That, this is the way the, the scriptures, this is the way they build their argument. It must follow. If you are in Christ, and Christ is in God, then you are in God, period. The transitive power of spirituality. Why is that so important? Because there's no, me, there's no mediation. So... Look, some of you have gotten a little bit lazy about your spirituality at times because, well, you've got Chris, right? I'll pray for you. Well, what are you doing when you do that? You're giving me a priestly role that I don't deserve and that I cannot carry for you. And in fact, you deny what? What has Christ done? And, what? and the whole church does this. The church has fallen into this pattern in the Catholic church first season. It'll happen. It happens, in the, it happens again and again where we want to hand hand the work, kind of the mediation over to somebody else. Maybe we do it, maybe your own conscience is, your, is, is keeping you as a barrier from God. Maybe you feel there's not enough access and you just need to be a better person. Once you're a better girl or better boy, then you can go to God. It's the same thing. You're looking for a priestly mediation. You're looking for something to run the, run the race for you or stand in the way. And what you're denying right there, you're not living in, is God's grace is immediate, full, free, eternal, now, for me, <laughs> for you, no mediation is required because the mediation 
the mediatorial work was done. <laughs> Walk in it. I, there is an opportunity here in God. I, I was thinking about this. We're praying yesterday. We had a day of prayer for those of our guests. We had a day of prayer where everybody took a half hour slot. And it was very fruitful for me. I don't know if it was, I think it was for many of you. And I was very thankful for it. And it occurred to me, there's a picture in, uh, in, in Revelation where uh, there's, a, there's a bowl of incense. Do you, do you remember this? It's in uh, chapter 5, I think. And we're going to be studying Revelation because it's so devotional. You'll see why when I say this just now. There's a bowl of incense. It says, it sits before God. Does anybody remember what the incense is supposed to be? The prayers of the saints. That's pretty cool. All right. But do you get it? Your prayers, every prayer, is in an eternal place before an eternal God. If you have eternal life, you are speaking eternal words. Now, some of you are like, whoa, Chris, you're getting a little deep on me here. Yeah, let's go deeper. Let's go deeper still. Because this God has made himself real and available to us now, today, practically. And in him, when you speak to him, your very desires appear before an eternal throne and an eternal God. And an eternal God never forgets anything. And they're hit. You have spoken eternity into it. Look, guys, people always complain to me. How, why do we pray if God plans everything? Or if God knows everything, why do I inform him? Well, first of all, it's a relationship. Not a, he's not a data dump. It's a, relation, it's a relational thing, right? But, but more than that, it occurs to me that there is a, there's a resolution of this conundrum paradoxically. And knowing that God plans all things... I also know that his plans include my prayers and include my will, but I don't know how because I'm in an eternal place and eternal things are happening. And you better believe they're happening because he told us they're happening and he's planning. But I somehow, by some miracle and mystery and magic that I cannot unravel, the things I prayed about yesterday are a part of the very will of an eternal God. Praise him. <laughs> Let me... There, there is nothing between you and Jesus at all <laughs> except your refusal to go. <laughs> That's if you know him. That's if you know him. I even looked at the, read this Old Testament. Look at this. The transitive property is so powerful, it actually works for typology. Look at this. Now, I want you to remind you, he's reminding them, like they knew this already, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, now look, what did Jesus do? who saved a people out of the land of Egypt. No, he didn't. Jesus won there. You can read all those books. They never talk about Jesus, do they? And what is Jude claiming here? That the actions of the eternal God, the I am on Mount Sinai, were what? They were Jesus. There's no mediation. He's been given to us. You can have his love for free. <laughs> I get such, it's so amazing to me. It's so outrageous. But it gets better than this even. It still gets better still. And the way it gets better still is in these no, these no words. The words of knowledge. Ah, you see, 
there's something that may might, you have to be a little more biblically aware to start getting some of this stuff because the biblical authors trade in the knowing words all the time. And in fact, when they start talking about knowing things, they're not talking about data anymore. In fact, in the ancient world, knowledge was not about facts and figures. And especially in Hebrew, knowing somebody, knowing your wife meant intimacy. Knowing, when God says, I knew you, or when David prays, when David prays what is he, what is he, what, why does he pray, search me and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts? Is there some data about David that is unavailable to God? No, not at all. David's asking for intimacy. What is, what is Christ promising here? In the negative, in a sense. If you know him, you have intimacy with him and the Father. And now, all of a sudden, if I can get Jesus bright enough, if I can dial up his majesty and his eternity for you and his love, and if you look at it, what happens? What happens? The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge does what? Filled with all the fullness of God that you may be filled. Two two things come to my heart here as as we talk about this. Just the possibility that you can know a God. I mean, isn't that weird? That's kind of outrageous, isn't it? <laughs> Just to present to this generation, to this world, to San Francisco, to our own hearts, it is actually possible to know a God. Because say, God walked this earth. A God has been here, has been available to us in space and time. And constrained himself into that, even to death on a cross and execution, to be a substitute for sinners. <laughs> but knowing this, knowing is possible. That, by the way, you realize that is the biggest obstacle of this generation to the gospel. They don't think our gospel is possible. Do you catch that? It doesn't exist within the, and, and that is, a, it's, a phony, it's a phony denial because who knows what's possible in this universe and who could say they could limit it? But just to know it's possible. But then I want beyond possibility lies what? Power. How is it that we can be filled with the fullness of God by knowing and being known by Jesus Christ? The possibility of intimacy. Isn't that what you want? Sometimes you want intimacy and you don't feel it. Well, when you don't feel intimacy, go back to these again. Go back to these truths. Go back to this passage. Go back to the eternal son. Why? Because blessed are those who believe and don't see or don't feel it. Sometimes there's a blessing you have of just not feeling because you still, and you still believe. I know that you can go through those times and those periods and those places where your faith is not, doesn't feel intimate. It doesn't feel alive. It doesn't pop. It doesn't give you that sense of joy or rush of, or a sense of affirmation. That everything's going to be okay. I get that. Return again to knowing about him. Return to his words. You know what I love about being a pastor is it forces me to read the word of God every day because I need it. Otherwise, honestly, I'm as independent an idiot as you'll ever meet. I'd probably never open my Bible if I didn't have to. Seriously, I know what I'm like. I'd be out there doing something stupid. And by the way Jesus chases my heart, is he makes me in the word, and I have to read Jesus' words, and I have to figure out how to make them make sense to you, and I get frustrated, and I get angry, and then I realize I'm in the presence of Jesus. And all of a sudden, like, it'll, it'll trick me. Like, all of a sudden, I go, oh, wait a second. I'm with Jesus. Oh, my goodness. And I just, I melt. <laughs> 
Because all of a sudden, this greatness, his greatness hits me. Because that greatness was never offended by my smallness. <laughs> and he was never afraid to be my friend and to be available to me. And I can walk with him in those eternal places because I'm in him. And I can take on a perspective that outshines everything. That takes my problems and collapses them into a manage manageable shape because he's the God of all creation. He knows where he's going, where he came from. Who is like him? And I know that nothing is, nothing is keeping me except my own stubbornness, perhaps, and my own unwillingness to come and unwillingness to know and unwillingness to be shined on. How hard is it to get shined on, brother? <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a sense, too, isn't this of just making ourselves available to God? Making ourselves available to him? If I came to one last thing that I want to, want to explode here is that if we know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that makes sense. Uh, there's knowledge. How do you know what's eternal? How do you know eternity? If you had eternity looking at you right now, you wouldn't know it because you, you're not big enough to see it. You'd just be really, really big to you. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to say, oh, I know that's eternal. You wouldn't know because eternity has no beginning and no end. So if you could be right next to eternity and not know it because you don't have the brain big enough to see it. You don't have eyes big enough to see it. And that's why contracted, contracted, contracted into Jesus, eternity becomes knowable because you can know a person. I may not be able to know eternity because I can't get, I'm not bigger, but I can know a person. And who have I been given? I've been given a person. A person of love, a person who goes to the cross, a person who loves me. <laughs> so what am I hoping for today? I'm hoping that the light goes on. <laughs> a light bulb goes on. Some of you, I'm hoping the light bulb goes on that Wow, you know, listening to Chris, and I see it. I have not sought to know Jesus this way, and I haven't known that I could know him this way, and I want to know him this way. If that's you, then get, get, on, get on the shtick. What are you waiting for? He's right next to you. Just go ahead and talk to him. Ignore me. Seriously, you think I'm kidding? If you have not given your life to Christ, talk to him right now while I'm talking. I, I, he'll, he'll understand. Now, because uh, now I'm talking to all the people that know Jesus. Boy, do we need a light to go on with us, Right? We need a brightness. We need somebody to turn up the dimmer because it's getting dark in the church. It doesn't feel like we have a lot of light sometimes. Father, come and shine on us. And it seems to me and it appears to me that, that it all hooks on us seeing his grandeur and his greatness again. Putting him on the throne, putting him as king of kings and knowing when we look at those pictures of the Hubble deep field yeah, yeah, he did that. And he died for me. And he lives to be my Savior. Mm. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you're the light of life. And uh, you gave me life. How I, I wonder at you, how I marvel. <laughs> There's nobody like you. He's. <sighs> Would you give us eyes to see your greatness? And forgive us for our, our perspectives that are so locked into our flesh. And we're just like these people. We judge to the flesh. We, we judge by what we see. We don't judge with true judgment. We don't see you as you are. And, and we need you to help us. We ask, Holy Spirit, this would be the hour and the moment where you help us. And those who today maybe are, are thinking about giving their life to you, then, then help them to do it. And maybe there's somebody here who's like, gosh, I really want to begin to really give my life to Jesus again. I don't know where to, I've started over and over again and I don't know how to do this. And Well, Father, give them hope again. 
<laughs> I pray for hope and, and new, new, new hope for, for understanding from, from believers. New, new hope to get shined on. <laughs> I want you to take a shine to us, Father. <laughs> Come on and reveal your light to us, to our kids, to the people we love, to San Francisco, to the, to the country. For the glory of Jesus, we pray it. Amen.